Our associate pastor, John Gregory, opening up our series of messages last Sunday, this uh, series of messages that I've entitled, A Weary World Rejoices. Uh, It certainly seems like it's a a tired world out there. Maybe you uh, feel some of that uh, every once in a while in your own life of just kind of being burned out and tired and run ragged, and you just go from one appointment to another appointment, from one thing to another thing, and never seems like there's a a moment to slow down. And and weariness oftentimes uh, colors our lives. And, and we just get into a survival mode. Uh, we just want to be able to survive the day. We want to be able to survive relationships that aren't going so well. We want to be able to si- survive financially. You want to survive in a, in a company maybe that's downsizing. I, I, lots of us have experienced those kind of ideas along the way. Uh, I remember just a, a few years ago when I was working in the publishing industry that uh, our company went through a massive restructuring, and, and my boss walked into my office. And, uh, and sat down in order to let me know that my, my job had been deleted and that there was a restructuring going on, and I was blessed that there was another, uh, uh, there was another position that had been created that I was going to slide into, but there's that momentary moment of panic and terror of, you know, how are we going to pay the bills? How am I going to pay the mortgage? What am I going to say when I get home to Angie? Like, what, what just happened here? Uh, but I know that for some of you here in the room, that, that that moment of panic that I had, you feel like you've been in a long stretch of it. You've been in a long season of, of being weary and tired and life being disruptive around you. I want you to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke this morning, and we're going to uh, take a, a, just a couple of verses out of the Nativity passage in Luke chapter 2, because I want to address the idea of joy this morning, joyful news in a joyless world. Uh, All you have to do is just to peruse the headlines really quickly uh, to know what kind of world that we live in. And, and so, where is it that we can anchor some hope and some joy and some peace and some love this morning? Uh, there is this passage in Luke chapter 2, and I'll be visiting this again in, a, in another gathering that we have during the month of December, but I wanted to just read a short passage out of it here in Luke chapter 2, where Jesus, uh, the Christ child, is born. And then in verse 8, it begins this passage where the angels come to announce that Jesus has been born and makes the announcement to a group of shepherds. Uh, But pick up with me there in verse 10, and I'm just going to read verses 10, 11, and 12. But the angel said to them, talking about the shepherds, and this is in the night time, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you. He is the Messiah, the Lord." This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Uh, This was perhaps not exactly the news that uh, a group of shepherds thought that they were going to get. I mean, who in the world would think that they're going to be the ones who are going to get this particular news story that's going to come blasting across their lives in the middle of the night? And yet, when Jesus is born, this is what happens. There is uh, uh, some guys who don't have the most joyful uh, job on earth that they are delivered the greatest news of joy that there could possibly be. Being a shepherd was not exactly uh, highfalutin territory uh, for a vocation in the ancient world. Oftentimes, shepherds were the guys that uh, basically they didn't have any skills to do anything else. And then to really be on the night watch, uh, I mean, you're working third shift as the shepherd. Uh, 
uh, to a bunch of grungy animals that are always kind of dirty and stinky and oftentimes would wheel around on you and nip at you. And, and at night, uh, your job was, to, was then to protect a flock of sheep that were relatively ungrateful from the predators that actually wanted to eat them. And so you had to protect a group of ungrateful sheep from a wolf that could actually eat you. Uh, this was not exactly the most fun job in the world. And yet, this is to whom the angels bring the announcement of the birth of Christ. If we look just here at verse 10, uh, this one statement uh, from the angels, I think that we can pick up on something that you and I need this morning. First and foremost, we pick up uh, the idea that we all know, and that is we've got good news. Uh, We've got good news. Now, the world is going to tell you we don't have good news. If you just peruse the headlines from this previous week, think about the headlines that flashed across uh, on, on your internet browsing, on your phone, on your newspapers, in your magazines. I mean, this week has been filled with all sorts of various headlines, everything from the death, the funeral, the legacy of President George H.W. Bush, Uh, to the red tide rolling up and doing all sorts of damage to our beautiful Robinson Preserve Park here in in Manatee County. There have been riots in France. Uh, There's a movie theater that's going in in Ellington, no matter how bad the traffic's going to get over there. Uh, Good luck and Godspeed to the Hulls uh, who have to live over there. Um, and, And so you start thinking about all the headlines that you saw this week. Everything from uh, persecution and war and famine and disease, all the way to people proposing that they've got all sorts of great ideas about how to solve all these things. Uh, Generally, uh, it's bad news out there. There's an old statement in the news industry that if it bleeds, it leads. Uh, News often is is all hierarchically uh, put together in order to grab our attention, to arrest the mind of the viewer. Well, outside of the headlines that you saw in uh, the newspapers or on Drudge or CNN or Fox or MSNBC or wherever it is that you gather news from, let me ask you this question. If you were to write the headline of your week, what would it have been? What would have been the headline news story of the past seven days of your life? You know, all of us could write something. I mean, maybe it's something that was small and feels a little innocuous. Maybe it was just kind of a normal week. You were just kind of going through the motions. Maybe you had a very exciting week, something very unexpected happened. Uh, Maybe you're a grandparent and you were able to FaceTime with a grandchild or babysit uh, one of the kiddos in your family that you don't get to see too often. Maybe you were making plans for the, the Christmas holiday season. Or maybe you just wanted to survive the thing that felt like it kept attacking your life all week long. Now, what would be the headline of your life? I want to uh, re-infuse the fact into the life of all of us that we've got good news. The angels bring the headline that we all need. The Savior has arrived. It's under the banner, uh, under this banner that we live. It's under this banner that our church ministers. It's under this banner that a weary world can celebrate. That even in the midst of the diagnosis that you didn't want or the breakup that you weren't expecting or, you know, the kind of the terrible consequences that you fell into because of a a bad choice in your life, when you're weary, we can celebrate because we actually do have good news that overcomes all of the bad news of the world. 
Well, looking next in, into this one statement made by the angel, he says, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim uh, to you good news of great joy. Uh, secondly, we can have great joy. seems to be in slight commodities in our day and age. There's so much that works against us as to whether or not we can have great joy. Uh, we just want to find some little semblance of happiness in our lives. Again, let me ask you a little bit of a diagnostic question. What are your sources of joy and happiness in your life? Is it just getting relief from a job that you really don't care that much about? You just want to get home. You just want to get past the commute and back into the house and plop back on the sofa in order to watch whatever show you've been binging or read whatever book that you've been working through or get to a hobby that you really, that you like it better than everything else. Now, what is it that brings to you this source of joy? Is it uh, relationships, uh, marriages, uh, parenting your kids, uh, talking on the phone with that one special person in your life that, that seems to have arrested your attention at the moment that you just want to pour into their lives and, and see them flourish? What is it that brings you joy? Uh, maybe for some, it, it's something that you hold in secret that you don't want anybody else to know. It's an addiction. It's a sinful behavior that it's the only place in life that you feel like you can get any relief, and, and you justify it by saying, well, kind of the world owes me this because I put up with their junk all week long, so I get to indulge uh, kind of the pleasures of my flesh uh, because I've put up with all of the rest of, of the garbage of the week. Well, what are our sources of joy? From a secular and a human standpoint, I, I always kind of categorize it as that achievements, power, and possessions are the three things that, er, that the world is trying to get joy from. Can I achieve? Can I be known? Can I get the reputation? Uh, can, I, can I get the stuff in my life? Can I get power? Can I, have, can I have leverage over other people so that I'm not the one who's constantly under the boot of a boss or, you know, I'm always the one who has the less power in the relationship that I, I have power so I can kind of man my own ship. I can steer in the direction I want to go. Or possessions. I just, want to, I just want to pile up enough stuff in my house where I feel like I'm getting ahead in life. I want to make sure that the 401k is constantly rolling forward and making sure that we've got enough for later on. But we all know, and, and we know this intuitively, and all of us find out experientially that no matter what your achievements or your power or your possessions might be, they're all temporary. They're not going to last. Eventually, uh, somebody is going to achieve something better than you. Eventually, somebody's going to have power over you. Eventually, somebody's going to have more possessions than you, or the possessions you've got are going to wear out and go out of style and out of fashion, and you, you're going to have to start all over again. But instead, the, the angel says, I have proclaimed to you good news of great joy. This good news is that the everlasting one has descended to earth. Uh, there are some uh, theologians who put it this way, that he has condescended. Now, we think of condescending as in the most negative of terms. You know, when somebody's condescending to you, they're kind of looking down at you. You know, they, they think that you're not quite smart enough to kind of get it. Uh, you know, there's a, a, a word for it now in the culture of what men sometimes do to ladies, that they mansplain things. Boy, I know all you ladies really love it when we do that. Um, but there is a sense at which Jesus has condescended to us. He has known uh, from time immemorial that we are weaker vessels, uh, that we are limited in our sight and in our understanding, and so He was willing to descend out of His greatness. 
in order to show up here on the earth, to be incarnated as fully man and fully God in order that He can make that long journey of holiness and faithfulness throughout His entire life. Uh, sinful uh, never was something that could be characterized of Jesus. Instead, He is the Lamb of God without spot or blemish. There is no evil action ever taken by Jesus throughout His entire life. He comes to the cross where He is the perfect sacrifice for sin, and He dies on behalf of people like you and me and, and of, of the whole world uh, so that He could bear the brunt and the weight and the judgment that, that we deserved to be poured out on us, and the wrath of God instead is poured out on Jesus. And He dies, and He goes into that grave, and then He rises from the dead in order to be victorious over sin, death, hell, the grave, your sin, my sin, our sin. We have good news of great joy so that we don't have to give in to the ideas of achievements and power and possessions, but instead we can invest our lives into God's kingdom, into a covenant with Jesus Christ, into the, the mission of God to carry this great news of this good news of great joy to the world. Everlasting joy is only found in the one who is everlasting. Everything else is going to be temporary, and it's going to let you down. As much as you like that other person, even that person that you're married to, I mean, you made a covenant, you made covenant vows to him or to her. Uh, even those kiddos that you're raising or have raised, uh, eventually they're going to wear you out, and, and they're going to let you down because their faithfulness is not everlasting. Our faithfulness is not everlasting, but it is with Jesus that we can find in Him great joy. And it is God's intention that we experience the joy of His salvation. That's the way that it is phrased in the book of Psalms. Uh, would you restore to me the joy of your salvation? Even though it's, it's kind of commonplace that we talk about our salvation, uh, that, that's not necessarily the way the Bible speaks about it. The Bible speaks about salvation as something owned by God that is gifted to us. And we have this good news of this great joy that can be for all the people that He is going to gift us with salvation, and we find our greatest joy when we are most deeply connected to the Savior. That's a beautiful thought, that you can find your greatest joy when you are most deeply connected to the Savior. Deep joy comes from knowing Christ. And thirdly, uh, in this pronouncement made by the angel, he says, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Number three, it's for everybody. Aren't you glad that the good news of great joy is for everybody? There's probably a moment in your life where you thought, there's not going to be any good news for me. I know me. I woke up this morning. I looked at me in the mirror. I've met me. I, I know all of my faults, all of my flaws, all, everything that I've done wrong. I know all of my secret intentions, which are bad and negative and hateful and spiteful at times. Surely there can't be any good news from the heavenly throne room for me. But the angel comes to tell shepherds. Blue-collar guys walk, working on a third shift that probably weren't suited for much other work in the world. It wasn't announced to philosophers. It wasn't announced to the, the social elites. It, it was announced to just regular folk, just like you and me, just normal people who grow up in towns and suburbs and people who just have workaday jobs. And it, it's, it's good news. It's great joy for everybody. And it's for all the people, advantaged and disadvantaged, religious and secular, every ethnicity and every culture, because it is this good news of great joy, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that transcends boundaries and politics and every dividing line that we might establish. 
Uh, over in, in the weeks ahead, uh, I'll ask John and the team of folks that went to Jordan, and then Angie and I, along with the Kings, we'll all share about our particular mission trips that we've been on. I arrived back in town, Angie and I did, along with the Kings in, at the Tampa airport last night about 7 o'clock, so it is some other time zone for me right now. Um, and, uh, but I can tell you that one of the things that we experienced in Uganda visiting with the believers there was a sense that they had embraced this good news of great joy that was for all the people. Uh, they live in abject poverty. Uh, most of uh, the children that we met along the way, they're either, in, they're either barefoot or in flip-flops, uh, tattered clothes, uh, many of them having only one set of clothes uh, to their name. Uh, on the last ministry day that we spent there, uh, one more child of the Florida Baptist Children's Homes sponsored a Christmas party for 20, it was over 2,500 kids. And, and so out on, uh, on the lawn of this uh, school that had been established by a missionary there in a city called Kamankoli, uh, Uganda, which if you, uh, if you go home and you look, uh, you'll find that it's a long, long way from the airport. We found that out. It's a seven-hour drive away from the airport. And that's where we spent most of our ministry days. And on that day, we arrived, and there were all of these tents that had been rented and, and plastic chairs everywhere, and these kids were all seated uh, all so quietly uh, under these tents, and they just kind of kept pouring in and pouring in and pouring in. But as soon as the music would start, uh, the kids would sing, and they would clap, and they would dance, and, and we would look at them, and we'd say, these, these kids have nothing. Like, what in the world do they have anything to be happy about? But these are children that had encountered the good news of great joy that was for them in impoverished Kamenkoli, Uganda. Um, and and uh, throughout the, the whole day, which it, it, it stretched to four or five or six hours, I don't know, it just kept going on and on and on. We have a, a, a party for 2,500 kids uh, from all across the city. And, and there were singing, and there was dancing, and there was a brass band that came through as well, and, and, and then there was lunch, and, and, and the kids were so happy to get just a hot meal and that was uh, cooked in these giant barrels uh, or giant pots just on uh, wood fires on the ground. And, and then at the end of the day, as they were all being dismissed out this one single gate, uh, we had purchased uh, 25 Merry Christmas cakes, fairly large cakes, but every cake had to be cut up into 100 pieces. And so uh, some of the guys and the gals had spent, uh, it felt like an hour or so, cutting up these cakes and putting them into these big uh, receptacles, and several people would stand as the, as the boys and girls would come out uh, through these two lines to this gate to, to leave the property. And they would get one handful of cake, and they would get one piece of candy. And they were overjoyed. Uh, and, and it stood as a great representation to me that there is just something beyond the world. Because uh, for them, getting a piece of cake is a big deal. Uh, they're not going to get cake when they get home. Uh, that was the only meal that most of those kids were going to have that day. Maybe it was going to be the only meal that those kids had for a couple of days. And for the, uh, what they refer to as the Mazungus, that is uh, the foreigners or the white people who show up, it's a term of endearment, at least that's what they told me, um, <laughs> for us to hand, put into their hand uh, a piece of cake, or for some of them it was just kind of a wad of frosting, which I would have been fine with that. Um, 
they, they had such a, a heart of gratitude, but it was that they knew that there was a connection there. Uh, some of the children we couldn't, or we couldn't communicate with, not all of them spoke English. Many of them spoke a language called Lugandan. And as Angie and I stood around, at times uh, we would just be kind of standing there talking to one child, and then suddenly we'd have this herd of children around us. Uh, I chalked that up to my wife and uh, her ability to be a bit of a Pied Piper for kids. And, and, and in Uganda, uh, it is very commonplace just to hold hands. It, doesn't, it has no uh, romantic intentions to it whatsoever. You'll very commonly see adult men walking down the road holding hands, sign of friendship, uh, people who are not married holding hands, and certainly children. Uh, they would come up and they would, they would find your hand and slip their hand into it, or two or three of them would grab a hold of your hand. And, and, and there were no words spoken oftentimes. They just wanted to, they just wanted to be there. They just wanted to, to be in your presence. They just wanted to be known. They wanted to be recognized. And, and there were little funny things along the way. All of them wanted to touch Angie's hair, uh, because none of them had hair like Angie, and all of them wanted to rub my arm because most of the men in Uganda don't have hair on their arms, and so the weird Mzungu with his hair on his arms, like some savage creature, I guess, to them. I mean, obviously, when you look at me, you think savage creature. Um, but it was just a great reminder to me that they really didn't want anything out of us. They they really didn't need anything out of us. I mean, would they have been happy if we had handed over to them, you know, a big wad of Ugandan uh, money, shillings? Yeah. Uh, would they have been happy if we had sent every kid home with a giant, you know, bag of food? Absolutely. But there was just this sense at which they just wanted to be in our presence, just being able to have contact. And I wonder, is that enough for me and Jesus? Do I really find Jesus to be enough? That all I want is just to be in His presence like a, the poor urchin child, the poor orphan child who is lost in this world, who really, I have nothing that I'm going to take into eternity. Not my house, not my pickup truck. You know, I'm not going to take any of my uh, books or uh, any of my achievements in the world. I'm not going to take any of the advantage or somehow uh, influence that I've garnered across uh, the years. I'm not taking any of that into eternity with me? Am I really satisfied to embrace the, the good news of great joy that's for all us people by just holding the hand of the Savior? Uh, this is why Jesus has come. While we were there, we had the chance to, uh, the Kings and Angie and I, uh, and one of the other uh, children's events, we had, I don't know, 1,200 kids there, that we taught the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, he was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. And uh, Mike King, Dr. Mike King, neurosurgeon, uh, played the best sycamore tree that you've ever seen in the history of the world. And uh, Darlene and Angie, we had uh, uh, beautiful uh, cartoon figures that uh, Diane Roop had uh, drawn for us of Jesus and Zacchaeus that we took with us. And and I got the chance to teach these kids the story of Zacchaeus. And we all remember the sycamore tree, and we remember that Jesus goes to the house of the one that nobody thinks that you ought to go to the house of that guy, because he's that guy, he's that sinner. But this gospel transcends all of those boundaries. 
Why did Jesus show up? Well, it tells us at the end of that story in Luke chapter 19 when Jesus goes to the house of Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus repents and makes a, a statement that, that he wants to have his life aligned with Jesus. And Jesus says something here that we should never forget, that it's anchored in the story of Jesus showing up to the house of a guy who's completely unfit for the kingdom of God. He's a, he's a thief. He's a robber. He's somebody who has stolen. Uh, he has taken advantage of other people. He, Zacchaeus, the tax collector, is a horrible human being. But Jesus says there in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's why He showed up. So if you feel lost, if you feel aimless and wandering in soul today, He came looking for you to save you. If you're a believer and you've kind of lost your way a little bit, He, he wants to reclaim that intimacy with you. If you are here this morning and you've been thinking through what does faith look like in my life, it, it means that uh, Jesus has come to announce good news of great joy. That's for all the people, and you're in the all the people category. And so I want to encourage you, whether you're lost this morning and you know that you need Jesus because you recognize you need His salvation, you need His forgiveness, uh, you don't want to stand before the judgment throne of God uh, saying, well, I did enough to make it because I can guarantee you, uh, you have not. Uh, our lives are offensive to God. Uh, we do our own thing and go our own way, and we live in our roguish and rebellious behaviors. They're not good enough to dwell with the eternity of God's glory. But Jesus says, I've come to seek and to save those who are lost. And for you as believers today, uh, let me encourage you just to renew the joy of your salvation. Allow it to wash back over your heart again, and maybe you found a place somewhere in your life where you don't know exactly what to do. Well, instead of leaning on the achievements and the possessions and the power that the world offers to you, instead, invest your life in the kingdom of God and the covenant that you have with Christ and the mission that the Spirit is sending us on as a church in order to carry the glorious gospel to those that Jesus is seeking and saving, that we walk along with Him, whether that is on the other side of the world, in the Middle East, or on the African continent, or whether it's across the street, right where you live, or down the hall to another cubicle, or across a phone call with a grandchild, or maybe across a FaceTime with a parent, that Jesus has this intention, that we would just be the ones like little orphan children finding our way home, holding onto His hand, because we have learned this great news of great joy. That's for all the people. Let's pray together.